Amen. You may be seated. We're going to jump right in this morning. The title of this morning's message is When Jesus Speaks, Things Happen. When Jesus Speaks, Things Happen. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe when Jesus speaks that things will happen? We're going to be in John chapter 4. We've got a large text this morning. John 4, 1 through 30, and then also verses 39 through 42. Now, if you've been here before when I've preached, you know typically I will read the entire passage to start with. For sake of time this morning, I am not going to do that. However, we are going to be going through in the message verse by verse. It will be on the screen, and I trust that you will read that, and also I'll trust that you will read along in your Bible uh, as we begin this morning. Again, when Jesus speaks, things happen. Verse 1 of John 4, we immediately see that the Pharisees are mentioned. And before we really jump into the text, I want to take just a moment to make sure we're all on the same page about who the Pharisees are and really what their mission was. Because, you see, the Pharisees viewed themselves as being very religious people. They actually were very religious people. They also viewed themselves as being the rule keepers. The rule keepers. But one of the things that you need to know is that the Pharisees were not fans of Jesus. They were not fans of Jesus. In fact, if you search the Scriptures, you're going to find out that the Pharisees were actually opponents of Jesus Christ. They had issues with Him. And you might wonder, so what kind of issue could anybody possibly have with Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Let me tell you a few that they had. They had an issue with Him healing people. They had an issue with Jesus healing people. They especially had an issue with it if He did it on the Sabbath. They had an issue when He talked to sinners. Can you believe that? They had an issue with Jesus talking to sinners. Have you ever known anybody like that? You shouldn't talk to them. It'll look bad. It'll look bad. Especially in a small town. People know everybody. And sometimes we are guilty by association. Sometimes, sometimes we find it easier not to talk to those people than it is to do what God has called us to do. I want to remind you that Jesus gave us something that's called the Great Commission. And He tells us that we are to go and make disciples of all nations. We are to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then we are, teach, we are to teach them to observe all that He has commanded us. I want to ask a question this morning. How can we possibly hope to fulfill the Great Commission if we are not willing to talk to people? How? How can we hope that we can ever teach them to observe all that He has commanded us? If we will not go and have those conversations, we are called to go to all people, not just the people that look like us or act like us or perhaps smell like us. Now, we see in verse 1 that Jesus has learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Well, we see in these next two verses, that's actually not the case. Jesus was not baptizing people. But guess what? He knew that if he stayed where he was, the Pharisees would make an issue of it. So in verse 3, he left Judea and he departed again for Galilee. 
And as he's passing through Samaria, he came to a little town called Sychar. And I just want to show you on a map just a moment where this is. See, right there it is in the middle. It's sort of halfway in the middle of Nazareth and Jerusalem. And you know, you've probably not heard a lot about this little place called Sychar, have you? To many people, they would have said it was rather insignificant in the first place. But what I want you to get this morning is it was not at all insignificant to Jesus Christ. He went there to this well. He stopped there. He had an encounter with a woman. And guess what? We are still talking about it today. We are still talking about the encounter that Jesus had with this woman at the well all these years later. All because Jesus spoke, things happened. Have you ever stopped to think what might happen in this little town of Greensburg that is rather insignificant to many people around the world? Have you ever stopped to think what might happen if Jesus truly gets a hold of people and we truly start living our faith day by day? I wonder, I wonder what would happen. And then we see in verse 6 that Jacob's well was there. Jesus was wearied from his journey. Wearied from his journey. Have you ever stopped to think about that? During the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, he got tired, folks. He walked this earth and he got tired. And guess what? He would sit down and rest. So if Jesus could do that, and he did, he did Why do we have an issue with it? Why do we have an issue in sitting down and resting when we need it? I want to remind you in Matthew 11, 28, Jesus tells us, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus gives an invitation that is to everybody. And it's just simply to come. Come, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. And you know, I think one of the beautiful things about that is, is that He tells us He will give us rest. It's not, you come to me if you're tired, and if you've done this list of 25 things, I will think about giving you rest. That is not at all what He says. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. I wonder this morning, is there anybody here that needs that rest? Is there anybody here that needs that rest that only Jesus Christ can give? Maybe I'm the only one this morning. But I'm going to tell you, there's times that I need it. There are times that I need it. Now's one of those times. We see here that Jesus is sitting by this well, and it's about the sixth hour. And what you need to know about this is that that it's basically our noontime. It's basically our noontime. Now keep in mind, the climate that they're in, it's dry, it's hot. The process of getting water is not easy. And then we see a woman from Samaria is coming to this well at this time to get a drink. And I want to tell you, that in itself is a clue about how this woman is, what type of woman that she is. See, this was not the normal time that women typically came to the well to get a drink. It was hard anyway. 
just think about it. Sometimes I think we, our minds have a hard time perceiving what a difficult task this was. Because when we need water, what do we do? We turn on the faucet. Clean water comes out. We drink it. We don't think anything else about it. But guess what? It was, that's not what this woman experienced. And guess what? It's not what people still experience in many areas of the world. Getting clean water is difficult. And it was with this woman. Getting to the well was just half of the problem. It was just half of the problem. She had to bring her water jar. Then she had to fill it. Then she had to carry it back to wherever she came from. Wouldn't you want to do that as early as possible? When it was as cool as possible? That's not when this woman came. I'm telling you, this woman had a past. We're going to see it here in just a few minutes. But perhaps the reason that she came at the time that she did is because she was wanting to avoid all the controversy, all the speculation from the other godly women that would have been drawing the water early. Maybe she didn't want to walk into a situation where she walked in and people were talking and they immediately stopped as soon as she gets near them. Which, by the way, that always has been a clear indication that you're talking about the person when you will immediately stop talking when they walk into a room. It's the indication you're talking about them. Maybe she wanted to avoid that. Maybe, maybe she was just tired of dealing with that. But guess what? It did not change the fact that she had to have water to live. She had to give this water. She had to get this water so she came to the well. And I don't think there's any way that she could have ever been prepared for what was getting ready to happen to her. There's a Jewish man sitting there, and he talks to her, which is unheard of. And he tells her, give me a drink. Give me a drink. She's shocked. And she reminds him, hey, do you really know what you're doing here? You're a Jew. I'm a woman from Samaria. You are not supposed to talk to me. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And then Jesus... He tells her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And as I was studying this this week, it was like the Lord whispered in my ear, Todd, ask them, ask them if they know. Do you know what Jesus was asking this woman what he was offering this woman. Do you know that? Do you personally know about this living water that only Jesus Christ can give? Have you have you partaken of it? Are you sure that you have? Are you still thirsty? And then the woman says to him here in verse 11, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Now, keep in mind, she's having a weird encounter in that day and time. Not only is this man talking to her, he's telling her, Hey, I will give you this water, and you'll never have to draw water again. But then she notices that he doesn't have anything to even draw the water with. 
Now, the, the word deep, this well is deep, it's significant. We don't have time to go into that this morning, but I want to tell you, most Bible scholars agree that the way the word deep is used in this particular phrase signifies that this well is a minimum of 100 feet deep. A minimum of 100 feet deep. So this woman sees this man. He's offering to give her water. He doesn't even have anything to draw the water with. She's asking a question. How are you going to do it? How do I get that living water? She's questioning Jesus. I wonder, how are some of the ways that we question Jesus today? Yeah, we, we certainly do it. We certainly do it. Maybe it's something like this, Jesus. I know you said, come follow me, but do you know how hard that is? Do you know it's not all easy? Maybe it's in the form of, Jesus, you you want me to go where? You want me to go where? You want me to talk to who? I don't know them. It's going to be awkward. It is going to be really awkward to talk to them. Yeah, it may be. It may be, but guess what? If they die and go to hell, that's going to be worse than awkward. It really will. It will be worse than awkward. And I know so many times people hide behind this phrase. Preach the gospel daily. And if necessary, use words. Anybody ever heard that? Preach the gospel daily. And if necessary... Use words. Now, I know that the intent behind that is all good, but hear me loud and clear this morning. It is absolutely necessary to use words. Period. It is necessary to use words. We cannot expect that somebody with no exposure to the gospel can somehow look at our life and figure out Christianity just by observing our lives. Now, yes, we should be pointing them directly to the cross. But do not expect them to figure out Christianity simply by the way that we live our lives. They won't do it. It is necessary to use words. Absolutely. All the time. Daily. Now, a few weeks ago, Brother Blake and I went to a seminar, and we, we listened to a man named Adam Greenway, and he, he was talking about this exact same topic. And he said it would be the equivalent of us telling you, feed the hungry, and if necessary, use food. Feed the hungry, and if necessary... Use food. It's absolutely necessary to use food. It is absolutely necessary to use words. Please use words. Please use them daily. And then we see Jesus is saying to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Again, and that sounds like a really good offer, doesn't it? It really does. Remember we talked about how difficult it is to draw this water, the clean water that they can drink. And so look, the woman, she says, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Isn't her response so representative of how we sometimes treat Jesus today? You know, we, we want his offer. But if we're being really honest, there's so many people that had just really rather have the life insurance portion of it. 
the let's live happily in heaven ever after part. That's really what the vast majority of people who call themselves Christians actually want, if they're being honest about it. But guess what? That's not what Jesus desires from you. He wants a relationship with you. Not just part of the time. He wants it all of the time. I wonder, do you have that relationship today? Have you heard Jesus speak? If so, what has happened in your life? And then we see something really interesting happen in the text. Jesus tells her, go call your husband and come here. Now, I think we can all agree at this point, no matter what this woman thinks or who she thinks she's encountered, she knows something out of the ordinary is going on here. She has met a Jewish man that is willing to talk to her. He knows a lot about her. He offers to give her living water where she never has to draw water again. And now he's telling her, go, go get your husband and come here. Now, she could have been very honest with him at the, at the beginning and told him what the, what the exact situation was. But again, I think what happens here is really representative of how so often we treat Jesus when he asks us a question. Because, you see, we want to somehow act like that Jesus really doesn't know the thoughts that are going through our mind. We want to act like he really doesn't know the thoughts of our heart. So we just barely answer the question when Jesus asks us something. And that's exactly what this woman does. She says, I have no husband. Now, that in itself was true, but it wasn't the whole story. Jesus says to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one that you're with now is not your husband. So what you have said is true. Now, can you imagine that he has commanded her attention at this point? Folks, he's addressed sin that is occurring in her life. I want you to know, sin has always been wrong. It always will be wrong. Don't expect God to bless sin in your life. And if you are dealing with that, you need to lay it at His feet today before you leave here. Before you leave here. So the woman at this point says, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, there's two things I want us to get from this particular passage of verses. First of all, I just want to ask a question. Who or what do you worship? Who or what do you worship? Now, it's going to be really tempting for most people to answer Jesus Christ. I worship Jesus. I worship Jesus. Are you sure you do? Are you absolutely sure that you do? If you were with us this past Sunday night, we've started our new Sunday night format. Brother Blake and I are searching the Scriptures and we're answering your questions. 
One of the questions that we addressed this past Sunday night was, is Jesus really all that I need? Is Jesus really all that I need? And I warned the people there that night, before you answer yes, make certain that yes is the true answer. Because sometimes we live our lives in such a way that, yes, we want Jesus, but we want a bunch of other stuff too. Now, if that's the case in our lives, Jesus is not really all we need. We're not living our lives that way. So I want to go back again. Who or what do you worship? Who or what do you worship? Is it really Jesus? Is it really Jesus Christ? Now, a lot of you know I spent many, many years of my life in the banking industry. And I'm going to tell you something. Please hear what I'm saying right now. Don't just immediately form a conclusion. But in most cases, I can take a checkbook, any checkbook, and in about ten minutes of uninterrupted time, it becomes pretty clear who or what is being worshipped. And probably some of you are thinking right now, oh no, he's getting ready to start preaching about tithing. That's not for today. That's not for today. I want you to know, in those 28 years that I spent in banking, you would not believe the number of divorces that I saw that were a direct result of finances. A direct result of finances. One of the spouses might have had another lifestyle completely going on that was shielded from the other spouse. It was a complete surprise. Sometimes they were into monetary things. They would purchase things that the other spouse had absolutely no idea about. And when that spouse, other spouse found out, it was bad news. And it was usually a divorce. Don't let that be you. If you're here this morning and you're married, I don't care if you've got one account and it's joint, or if you've got 500 accounts and they're all individual, you better be reviewing the activity. You better be finding out who or what that your spouse worships. And let's let's pray it's Jesus Christ. Let's pray that it's Jesus Christ. The other question that I want to ask you from this particular passage is, are you a true worshiper? Are you a true worshiper? Do you truly worship Jesus Christ? Now, it's, it's great to come here on Sunday mornings and sing the songs and worship. But guess what? That's not all it's about. That is not all it's about. True worship occurs all the time, not just for a few minutes on Sunday morning, not just for those few minutes. Again, are you a true worshiper? And then the woman, of course, he has her attention. She tells him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And then Jesus speaks to her. And says, I who speak to you am He. Can you imagine that got her attention? I want you to know this morning, He is saying the exact same thing to you. He is saying, hey, it's me. It's Jesus. I am Him. It's me. Live your life for me. And then we see that His disciples come back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. They marveled. But notice what the text says. Not one of them said, what do you seek? 
Or why are you talking with her? Because guess what? If they had done that, they would have been just like the Pharisees, wouldn't they? But they didn't. I wonder why they didn't. Do you think maybe it was because they had spent some time with this man, that they knew that he was for real, that possibly they knew that when this man said, peace be still, that that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. Maybe it was because they had seen him touch somebody's eyes that were blind and caused them to see. Maybe they knew he was for real. Maybe they had seen him touch a dead person and bring them back to life. I'd say that would get your attention, wouldn't it? Maybe, maybe, just maybe, they didn't act like the Pharisees because they had truly had an encounter with Jesus. And they certainly had. So then we see the woman leaves her water jar. And she went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So keep in mind now, as we're just about finished. I promise you, we're going to wind up really quick. But I want you to be sure that you don't miss this. On the way to the well, her water jar was really, really important to her. She has an encounter with Jesus. She hears Him speak. And guess what she does? She leaves the water jar. She doesn't need it anymore, folks. She doesn't need it. She has been filled with that living water. And she goes and she's telling everybody that she sees about this man named Jesus. I wonder, I wonder this, this morning, what are you willing to leave to follow Jesus? What are you willing to leave to follow Jesus? And then this is the beautiful thing. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Is that not beautiful? Guess what? They knew this woman prior to her encounter with Jesus. They knew the kind of woman she was. They knew she had a past. They probably knew exactly what the past was. But now they're seeing a different person. Yeah, it looks, it physically looks like the same person, but she's different. Many people believe in Jesus because of her testimony. I wonder, who's believing in Jesus because of yours? Who, who, really? Who's believing in Jesus because of my testimony? Who's believing in Jesus because of your testimony? It's a very, very serious thing. It's serious any time that our life points people away from Jesus instead of pointing them to Him. Let's make sure that we all point people toward Jesus. And as we move toward our invitation this morning, I'm going to tell you about a little story, something that happened to me this weekend. And you're going to initially wonder, what could that possibly have to do with today's message? But I promise you it does, so stick with me. I'm a coffee drinker. I don't know how many other people are coffee drinkers. It's okay to raise your hand. For probably the last eight to ten years, I've had a bun coffee maker, and I absolutely love it. In fact, if, if my bun coffee maker were to tear up this afternoon as soon as I could get somewhere to get another one, I would. That's, I like it that much. And I'm the type of person that when I get something, especially if I have to pay more than, say, like $20 for it, I read the instructions. 
I do. I read the instructions. I read the maintenance instructions. And so for this particular coffee maker, every three months, you're supposed to pour a quart of vinegar in it. You leave it on for two hours. It cleans the inside, and then you pour all that out and run several pots of water through it, and then you're ready to go again. And I'm sure you're thinking, what's that have to do with anything? And it's this. I want to talk to us just a little bit about how the process of sin can somehow work. Because, you know, after I go through this cleaning process with my coffee maker, I am always amazed, even though I've had this eight to ten years now, I am always amazed when I make that first pot of coffee after cleaning it. It tastes so good. It, it truly, it tastes so good. And you're probably wondering, well, if it tastes that good, how come you don't clean it more frequently than every three months? Here's the honest answer. It's because that change happens so slowly that I don't even realize it's happening. I don't even realize that the coffee's starting to taste bad because it is such a slow, gradual change. I want you to hear me this morning. That's exactly how sin usually works in our lives. If there is a tiny crack anywhere in your armor, you better be aware that, that Satan knows exactly where it's at. And he is trying his best to get through that tiny crack. And when he gets, th- when he gets through it, he'll start introducing changes in your life that are so slow and so gradual that you might not even realize that there's anything wrong with them. And then you get wound up in that web and it's hard to get out of it. But just like that vinegar cleans the coffee pot, I want to tell you about Jesus. He's the one that can clean you. He is the one that can clean you. You know, He died on that cross. He died on that cross for you, for me. I wonder, do you know Him today? Are you absolutely certain that you, that you know Him? Are you absolutely certain that you've heard Jesus speak? Because if you have... Things are going to happen in your life. People won't have to ask, are they a Christian? They, they won't have to ask if, if you're a Christian. Your walk will be different. Your talk will be different. Now, are bad things still going to somehow, sometimes happen to us? Yes, they will. A lot, living a life following Jesus Christ is not an easy life. You know, if you want to find out what difficulty is, read about Jesus in the Gospels. We'll see difficult situations. But I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus is sufficient. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know it's not a difficult process at all to come to Jesus. It really is as easy as we tell kids in Bible school. You've got to admit that you're a sinner. It means saying, yeah, there's some stuff in my life that doesn't honor Jesus. I'm willing to lay that down at His feet and ask Him to forgive me. Then we've got to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That He walked this earth. And while He was here, He lived a life that contained no sin. And then we've got to confess and repent that Jesus is the Lord. That we've got to say, I'm sorry for our sins. And we want Him to come into our life and change us. You know, there's so many times we want to leave out the process of repenting. 
because we really don't want our lives to be any different. We want to be able to continue living in that sin. That's not His will for you. He wants you to lay it at His feet. Every bit of it. So again, I wonder this morning, have you heard the voice of Jesus? Has He spoke to you? If He speaks, I will promise you, things will happen. Will you pray with me, please? Father, thank You for this day that You've given us. Lord, I thank You for the story of the woman at the well. Lord, what an amazing encounter she had with You. And just to think that we are still talking about that encounter in that little place called Sychar all these many years later. Lord, it's my prayer that You will touch people in this sanctuary this morning. Lord, I pray that we will see people um, come to You and, and ask for the forgiveness of their sins. Lord, I pray that we will see people saved and set free this morning. Lord, I pray that people will freely declare, Jesus is the Lord and Master of my life. And Lord, I pray that it will happen on such a scale that people many years after today will be talking about the things that You did, the encounters that You had in that little place called Greensburg. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will descend upon this place. And I pray that you will touch lives. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.